Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Comics and Cinema. That's right. If you were just listening to our top TV of the year, this is your After Hours episode with your host, Alex Klein, uh, along with very special guest, Harry Panko. Harry, welcome. Wow, uh, the guy's so nice, we record twice. So nice, twice in one night. But, uh, folks, we've got a special episode here. Um, it's, it's a big one. And, Harry, I don't know if you know this, but uh, we've been... I'd been anticipating a certain episode for a while and didn't even realize it while we were recording that that last episode was the 250th episode of Comics and Cinema. So You got kidding me. You're a part of history. Part of history. Let's listen folks at home, let's give a little round of applause to our host, 250 strong and uh his ugly mug favorite cousin who's on 250 and potentially 251. Don't know when this one's going to air, but this could oh, be. Oh, yeah, it'll be it'll be as immediate as I can. Uh, <laughs> Got to get that fan feedback and let them know that I need to kick you next time around. Let those dogs bark. <laughs> OK, uh, so uh, as we alluded to at the end of the last episode, our uh, and we did not know it prior, but both of our number one show of the year was Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. And uh, we had talked before recording that episode of doing a separate episode just on the show because there's a lot of things we wanted to talk about, didn't want to take up all the time in that one. So that's what we're here for uh, is Rings of Power. So again, this was this was a funny one because uh, I did not watch the show as it came out. Uh, I waited for a while. And then uh, <laughs> my wife and I started watching it. We watched the first episode, and it was awesome. But then we got into a bunch of other stuff, and she's got a bunch of shows that she watches too. And I felt like a little kid. I kept saying, like, can we watch some more Rings of Power? And uh, and she'd say, <laughs> so you know, gonna, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. Details. And so I, I got to say my favorite thing, which is one of the favorite parts of having a podcast. I said, hey, I got to watch this because I've, I've got to put it in my list for the end of the year, so I've got to watch it. I, my hands are tied. And so... Finally sat down, watched all of the episodes in two days, <laughs> and uh, I, you know, obviously was like, oh, I wish I had seen this sooner, but was very happy that I saw it when I did, uh, because it rekindled my love for Lord of the Rings. I, uh, I, As I'd stated on the other one, so we'll start there with just kind of maybe talking about our history with Lord of the Rings. I'm, I've always been a, uh, a loader head. Uh, when I was younger, I, I'd read the uh, Hobbit was the first one that I read. I read that all. I liked that book a lot. I read it a bunch because it's super easy to read. It's really fun. Uh, and then we had the classic uh, the Hobbit animated movie that Harry and I, you know, we loved. We watched that all Greatest the time. Greatest adventure is what lies ahead. And uh, so then after that, you know, there's some other animated ones for the Lord of the Rings, but those Lord of the Rings movies obviously changed our life we loved them we loved the lore behind them and i then read the books uh, i think i've read them twice uh but loved the books obviously the books are just as good obviously better than the movies there's a lot more content in the books but for an adaption those movies absolutely killed it and then we got blessed with three hobbit films which yep. a lot of people aren't fans of both of us love those movies uh for the same reason right they pick out so much of the lore they actually pay homage to that cartoon movie too with some of the songs that they use in the movie uh and then they added a bunch of lore things from the appendices that did not take place in the hobbit book but happened sort of around the same time uh, as the hobbit things like azog the defiler um yep. pieces of you know gandalf and radagast it's not exactly said who was doing it except gandalf of investigating dol Gudor 
figuring out Sauron's back. All of that stuff happened right around the same time. Um, so they played a little bit with the timeline, which I'm okay with because you'll see that as a theme in the show too. Casual viewer is not going to notice. They're going to hopefully would love it. But for some of those lore heads out there, uh, they truncated the timeline a lot in the show. Um, you'd look at the time because the so in the back of Return of the King is about 200 pages of appendice material, which shows lineages of you know all of the men, lineages of the elves. It's got the stories of of the first age, of the second age, little bits and pieces. These other books, the histories of Middle Earth, the Silmarillion, all of those. That's like the deep dive. But if you just read the appendice at the back of the Return of the King, you're going to get most of what you need. And I reread it after watching the show, and there's a lot of pieces in there that I was like, nice. Like, literally taken out of the appendix, put into the show. But one of the pieces was it shows a timeline of all of the big things that happen in the Third Age, the Second Age, First Age. And, uh, you know, you've got, like, between, uh, you know, certain bits, and you could even just say between two episodes— some of the events that take place in that time took place in the span of a thousand years in the stories. Right. right. And you can't, there's no way you can't do that on a TV. You can even do that on TV. You just can't. So they've truncated a lot of it to where this thing happened basically around the same time as this, that, and the other. And you think about it for a fake fantasy show that's going 3000 years ago, the timing is not that important. And so, but for, again, for, you know, a Lord of the Rings lore head, that's a, that's a, 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 an easy tease of, Oh, they didn't follow that. And they didn't, which I liked though, because I think that there's a lot of freshness with the show. There's a lot of, it keeps you guessing because if you're the lore head, you're going to go, Oh, this should be happening. And then it doesn't, or it happens early and you're like, Oh, that shouldn't have happened yet. But it's throwing you off your game, and it should be that way, right? You shouldn't. You should go in and have a couple of a uh, couple of twists and a couple of surprises. And, so I mean, and they they can they can pack more into it, pack more of these exactly these adventures and odysseys and things into the show, and they can continue to do that. Hopefully, I I agree with you. I thought it was done very. It was very thoughtful the way they did it. It wasn't just thrown together. You could tell they were thinking about. Um, putting these episodes together and what items to combine and maybe speed up or pull out of the timeline a little bit, but I, it flowed very well, but it kept things moving. And it, it there was a lot of action in all every single yeah. one of these episodes. I mean, there was, it was heavy on action and heavy on just keeping, keeping you engaged. It was also really cool to see the, um, <clears throat> like they, they took their time with each of the species you got, yeah. you know, there were story bits that were with the hardfoots, there's story bits with the elves, there's story bits with the humans and and the dwarves and they'd and then the Numenorians. And so you'd get, you know, a bit of the story here, a bit of a story there. And I ne there were moments as it was getting really heated towards the end where I was like, why are we cutting? But for the most I part, I liked it. I kept being like, yeah. ooh, I forgot about these guys. Like, what, you know, what are they up to? And it was always great. But then, yeah, towards the end, I was like, just Stick with Galadriel right now because this is really well, important and I don't want to see. We created Mordor. I don't care where the hell the Harfoots are. Oh, man. Yes, yeah, so here. And I'll, um, I'm going to put a note on that creation of Mordor. So that that was a big one, Harry, actually. So the, the return of Sauron and the turning the Southlands into Mordor, that is something that takes place over the span of yes. a very long time. Uh, I liked it in the show better though, because I was not expecting that. So that's what, let's start with that. Let's start with the creation of Mordor since you brought it up. So, 
uh, we get this whole bit where, um, what was it? Sauron basically created a key through the sword that when it's unlocked, the machinations of it actually release a uh, river. A dam comes breaks. A dam, right. basically. Yeah. yeah, it breaks a dam that comes down, and the dam feeds directly into this volcano, Mount Doom. At the time, though, probably wasn't called Mount Doom. And I just thought to myself when that was happening in the show, and so this is full, full spo- obviously, full spoilers for thousands of year old lore but um when that happened i was freaking out because i was just like first off was like that's so badass like sauron knew like ooh, you know what's what's more powerful than a, than a sword how about a whole volcano, about a volcano? <laughs> and i was oh my the, the the explosion of the volcano and then all of the the blight that happens afterwards the the uh, decay of the southlands uh muriel getting her being blinded and just all of the death and destruction was just so powerful. And then all of a sudden that Southland sign comes up and it switches it to say Mordor. And I was just like, holy cow, I did not see that coming, but I should have. So yeah, were you expecting that at all? Or was not it not at all? Again, like I I wasn't that keyed into like timelines and stuff, but I was I, it wasn't even in my imagination because I hadn't quote unquote seen Sauron in the show yet, which was right, weird. Right. Because right. when I was reading articles at the beginning. You know, oh, Sauron is, uh, you know, he's a he's a whisperer of men. Like, you know, he's going to he's kind of be in the shadows sort of thing, but he's going to be your friend. And I was just like, I don't see who that is. And so right. I was like, maybe right. so I was thinking maybe he shows up at the very end. Um, and, and you know, we get the whole twist with the wizard. I, I started thinking that wizard was Sauron when the sages come over and they're like, you're Sauron. And I was like, oh, okay, interesting. Found out, we yeah, talked a bit about who that. it is. Exactly. Yeah, because it was like, oh, who's, you know, he's a good guy, but he, he turns into a bad guy. That's kind of an interesting story. On, the creation, of, on the creation of Mordor, how about that? Um, how about that arc, that story arc of that battle and the ups and downs leading up to oh, it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the villagers strike first and they set the trap and they take down. The orc army, the, the, all the orcs come in, they take the tower down, and you're like, oh, my God, they did it. This is awesome. And then the next scene is they you know, they they run back to the town and they set their defenses, and then the orcs start kicking their ass, and they're coming out of the woods, coming out of the woodwork. The villagers start fighting back. We're killing them off. You think they're going to do it. And then the arrows start raining out of the woods, and we're just taken down. And then right when you think all hope is lost, the ground starts rumbling. And how – I mean – what a th- throwback to all I was thinking was two towers. Oh, the yeah. Army being led by Galadriel coming in with the white horses. And you're just like, oh, baby, we're going to do it. Yep. Take them out. We capture the king of the, the not the king, the leader of this orc group who's who's we're going to be running into him a little bit more. Um, but capture him. You're feeling I was so happy. I was like, we did it. We beat this army. What a cool battle scene. This was epic. And then <clears throat> turns the key. Volcano goes off and everything gets totally reset. Everyone's dying. I mean, just that that emotional trauma of that oh, whole yeah. that battle was insane leading up. That to was, it. you know, in a way, it was kind of like Avengers Endgame in the sense of like the back and forth and to the point where Thanos says rain fire and then the ship yep. just starts shooting missiles out there. That's what the volcano was like. That's what just, they didn't have a Captain Marvel to save them. <laughs> yeah. Just yet. Wild, wild. No, so yeah. So, cool. so Sauron Halberd was Sauron oh. the whole time. 
never, not once did I think about that. And I don't even know if I'd have read back up on some of the Sauron lore if I'd have even guessed that that was who it was because they made so many hints that it was this stranger who, yeah. uh, again, I was like, oh, so, you know, I was like, he's going to kill these hobbits because, like, they're going to be like, remember who you are? And he's going to be like, nope, and just kill them. But then it was like, oh, no, he's actually not Sauron. So then I was like, whoa, so who who is Sauron? And all of a sudden we get, and I didn't even catch it, but so this is, here's some lore. So Sauron uh, essentially was one of the, um, he's kind of like what, he's basically, he's very similar to like Gandalf and the wizard. So yep. it comes from, I, I'm pretty sure it's a thing called the Maiar, but they're very similar to the, um, Oh, I think the leader is the Iluvatar. It's like the Anatar or something. But they're the essentially the, the angels, you could say, the gods. Right. And one of those gods, his name is Melkor, who the people call Morgoth. And he is the Lucifer of the bunch that goes down to Middle-earth and yeah. starts, like, wrecking shop, basically, in the First Age. But then there's a – he basically has an apprentice of sorts in this Sauron who is another type of sort of fallen angel. And so you see, though – and they've always said that Sauron is possibly the greatest evil out there besides Morgoth. And the only reason being that Sauron was always going to – was always planning to serve Morgoth, whereas Morgoth was doing it for himself. Right. So that's sure. what they always said was a little bit less. But what happens is he, um, he kind of – Goes into hiding, he gets killed, fought off, and uh, is in this weakened state. And so he comes into Middle-earth, and, and the whole point being, and you may have seen that in the video as well, is like the the uh, Istari, which is like Gandalf, those guys, and same with Sauron, they don't die. They can't die. They're like, right. they're, every they time they die, it's kind of like Voldemort and you kill a Horcrux, right? You know, yep. injures them, they're a little weaker Enter going forward, but they don't state. die. Right, yes. enter a weakened state where they don't have their full power, but they've got to build it back up. Yep. And it was, uh, I do you think going back, you've seen it once, mm -hmm. you've seen power one time. Do you think going back and watching it again, there'd be a breadcrumb trail of clues where you'd be watching it and go, Oh my god, I can't believe I didn't pick up that he was yep. sore. Yeah, because so when he when Sauron comes back, he's in this weakened state, but he's still able to make himself look fair, like Halberd, right? Like, yes. like look like a handsome guy. But people would call him Anatar, which meant like the gift giver, because his whole thing was he was kind of like the smarmy politician where he would show wow. up and he would present yeah. with gifts and say, oh, you know, but you should do this. And, and, you know, then they would do it. And so his whole thing was he tricked the elves into forging the rings of power. Yep. And so he basically tricks Celebrimbor to do so, which was so weird because it was like these elves are supposed to be so wise, but he tricked and all them. It was, all it took was a little flattery and making Celebrimbor think it was his idea. And, and we should have caught that because, yeah. you know, you go back and look and he does that sort of stuff when he's in Numenor to get out of trouble. Yep. And I was just like, ooh, so he's – I knew in that moment I was like he's more than meets the eye. But I kept thinking of it in terms of being a king. And I was like he's going to be a really good king because he's going to be able to negotiate with people. So it didn't even cross my mind. And then even when he shows up in Celebrimbor's workshop 
and says like like you're saying you know oh, have you ever you thought about combining this stuff beforehand and and oh, i'm like that's textbook sauron he even says something like well what is this and he says it's a gift like that him giving this idea to him is a gift and so that should have triggered it too nope didn't and then uh you know they said in the in the text too that like no one knew except for galadriel that she sees through him almost immediately and so they show that that she's like has that sort of disturbia moment of like oh what have i done like i saved sauron <laughs> and like holy and that's that's blew the my mind it's going to be very interesting to see how they handle that in the next season. I'm assuming she's going to be part of it. Um, the guilt and the, and I think we had seen that in a couple of the, the videos and kind of recaps we were looking at. Had she not come across him, bonded with him, helped save him, brought him to this kingdom of elves and men, work it, I mean, he was on his last legs. He would have got eaten by that fish and bye-bye. Sauron's, yeah. Sauron's living in the belly of the beast. And her actions essentially bring Sauron back. And he kept – I think that was, an, that was another thing I noticed is when he was walking through the elven city that the, the men are living in. What's what's the name of it? Um, where? The, where they go through with the water and they yeah, enter the city. I think that's – Not Numenor. The, oh, uh, Lor not Lorien or yeah. Rivendell? Not Rivet. No, the the city where the basically the half the movie takes place where they all leave. Isildur leaves from the sailors are all there. The oh whole yeah, time. yeah, that, that's Numenor. That is Numenor. Okay, so well Numenor, he he keeps walking around saying, "I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I'm walking around here. Who brought me? I can't believe you brought me here." And looking back at it, it's because he's Sauron. He would be if they knew he was Sauron, he'd be dead, dead on the spot. And it's all well, and so that was a piece too, right? Because you know, in the lore, he he's banished, and yeah. and he and he's banished in part two by the Numenorians. I, I think is what whatever it is. Essentially, he's technically like persona non grata. There, Sauron is not allowed to be in Mordor in in Numenor, but because he's in this different body, or he's you know projecting himself that way, that's why he's like, I can't believe I'm here because he's like he's like a fox in the hen house, getting welcomed in. And speaking of gifts, like the whole scene where he's winning over the villagers before he steals from them. And he's in the in the bar, you know, in the bar with all the villagers. He's buying everyone drinks. He's giving gifts to everyone, oh. just becoming the favorite. It's it was well. And think of it this way too, right? You know, he's in the Southlands. He's in Mordor, saying, "I'm your king," and they're all like, "Yep." And he's he is their king. It's just not the king that not they thought. Who they expected? Yeah. Oh, just yeah. Absolutely mind blowing. And. um I can't wait to see where that goes too, because so and uh, the ring lore, you know, uh, Galadriel explains it at the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring, but with a little more detail. Essentially, the elves craft their three rings, right? And she, Galadriel makes a point, which is again, this is because this is part of the text. She says to not tell anyone about it, that this is just us for the elves. So essentially, they created these rings with their power not with Sauron's power. Right. He, so he has no power over those three rings. They're connected to him, but he he can't do anything about it. So like when they put on the rings, he can kind I, I think it's like he can kind of see what they're doing, but he wouldn't be able to control them because he like they're, they're made out of their own, you know, made out of her sword, all of that stuff. Uh, but so the elves get three and they are for Galadriel, 
um, Gilgalad, which ends up going de- given to um, Gandalf, right? No, Gilgalad's is given to uh, Elrond, and then ah. the third person, his name is I believe it's Círdan, and he gives his to Gandalf. to Gandalf. So those are the three, the three for the elves. And then what happens, and what we'll probably we'll start to see in the um, the second season, is then Sauron starts to make his own rings. And so he makes the dwarven, the, for the, the seven for the dwarves and then the nine for the men. So he can corrupt as many as he can. Interesting piece there, too, is that because of the dwarves personality and because of just their their power over certain things, they also are not swayed by these rings. The only thing the rings are able to do to them is make them incredibly greedy. So the whole downfall of the dwarves is because of those rings. But then, obviously, Sauron crafts his one ring in secret to control the rest of the rings. And that's the whole thing is is each of these rings just has a, is like uh, with uh, Horcrux, right? Like with uh, Voldemort. little piece of Sauron in each of these rings. But not the elven ones. These but are not the... the elven ones, correct. They, yeah. Again, they're more like, you know, he was there and he helped them, but at the same time... They are able, like they end up taking all three of their rings into Valinor at the end of it, right? When when Galadriel and Bilbo and all of them go to the Grey Havens at the end of the movie, yep. they all bring the rings with them. So, um, but yeah, so that's I, again, I love that they set that up because it, it's not it wasn't just like oh here's all these rings. It's like some were forged at this time, some were forged at a separate time. So now his whole thing is going to be how you know the, the stage is set. He's got his land. How how does he amass the army? How does he build that power? And so right. I think you'll see that, that he's going to start uh, get. I mean, and that's, we should have caught that too, that he's a smith. Like oh, that he's, he's right. going to start smithing and, and give, and he even mentions, uh, you know, I think it said in the video about some of the things he says, alluding to some of the, some of those other, um, uh, what are they, the Anatar or whatever, the, the, the gods, gods he mentions, he but yeah, that, that, that worked with him. But yeah, so there's that. Okay. Um, next we've got here. So the, the wizard. So the stranger is not uh, Sauron. Not Sauron. Who is it? I've heard. I've seen. We saw. You know that video again. This was a great video. I think was it. Um, was it called Spoiler Alert or was it? Uh, um, what's the other one called? Whatever it is, it was basically a full spoiler breakdown of the last episode. So there's some good insights in there. That gentleman thinks that he is one of the blue wizards. So in the books, right. you've got Gandalf the Gray who turns into the White Saruman right. White. Brown. Uh, Radagast the Brown, and then there's a group of blue wizards as well. Their cloaks are blue. You don't read it. There's not a lot of info on them, but his guess was that. Some other people's, and I think yours as well, was that it was Gandalf because he says the thing about following your nose, which I, I didn't totally catch. I was like, I feel like that's something Gandalf would say, but other people are like, yeah, Gandalf said that. So there's a possibility yeah. maybe that it's Gandalf too. I truly don't know, and I love that because this is like – thousands of years before it, it could happen he gandalf has been around for a long time um i'd like to see another wizard but it also would be kind of cool to see a quote-unquote younger version of gandalf the more i thought about it after um that is a gandalf quote but the more i thought about it i think it would be a better story arc if it was a different wizard or one of the blues right and they all have like the same qualities right like right and same. then maybe you know maybe in a few seasons down the road we see as a mentor to a Gandalf character or something, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. yeah. Comes in where he comes in down the road. But so essentially the blues to your point are, it's another group of wizards that are like the grays or the browns or. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I think, I think the cloak is um, like class symbolic, 
where like the the, the white is of course because you know time it was around but the, the white cloak is the best and then i think it's the grays Wait, did you or, just say the white is the best the the white cloak is the best Looks Please. like he ended, he ended folks. I'm about I'm about to get sound bited like crazy on this. This I'm I'm done. Comics and cinema is over. Last episode. We love it. We love to be a part of it. Uh, but yeah, so I think I, again, there's not a lot of lore on it. So I'm I'm hoping as I read, I find more of it. But that's that's about all I know on that regard. So that'll be interesting. Um, and that that arc ends with him. Is he traveling to Rune? Rune, Rune which is Rune. in the far. So if you look at a map. Uh, and I'll try to do this as if I'm listening on the pod as a podcast. But if you're staring straight ahead on the map, to the east would be Mordor, and then you'd go to the west, and you'd be passing Gondor, and then you know you'd go up north a little bit. That's where kind of the Shire is and all that. But if you if Mordor wise, if you just keep heading north and east from Mordor, that's the land of Rune, and it shows that on the map. Uh, I don't know much more than that. I just know it, it is shown on the map, and that's where our wizard is going. Apparently, with, yeah, with, with the with the Proudfoot, with the Proudfoot, Nori, our little Harfoot adventure. So let's Which talk about awesome. that real quick. I think, what are, I think that whole that whole thing is going to set up some really cool similarities between all of our wizard Hobbit adventures, yeah. previous films. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think of all the Hobbits? I. I didn't have a problem with him. I thought it was a I thought it was a breath of fresh air. I thought it was yeah. It was enough nostalgia of just the Hobbit race. I mean, this is obviously early Hobbits. I think Harfoots is what they're calling them now, so it's one of the earlier ages of them. Yeah. But I I think just the nostalgia. I mean, Hobbits are Hobbits are ingrained in the lore, and it was really cool to have these little breakaways. And it was the way that they did it was. Uh, and you alluded to this earlier. It was a it was a nice change of pace from the crazy. Some of the times, some of the times we don't want to leave, but you had the crazy battle scenes or the you know the the really intense meetings of the minds, and then you'd go and we'd be just looking for our next uh, our next encampment with our Harfoot friends, you mm-hmm. know. And I think it was it was also it was interesting to pair the stranger with the Harfoots. You know what I mean? They could have. They could have brought the stranger down and he's dealing with all the elves or the dwarves or the, you know, the, the race of men. But just to have the Harfoots who are literally only worried about their migration route and where they're going to get right. the, just snails for the next day. You know, I thought I thought that was really cool. And so many similarities between um, our Proudfoot main character and Frodo and Bilbo and, you know, that sense of. I want to go on an adventure. I want to get out of here. I want to break away from just the safety net of all the the hobbits. So maybe people could look at that as like an overplayed trope in in the in this in the lore. But I thought I, in in but my it makes sense for their species, like, right? You know, yeah. they've they've got the the travel bug anyway from wandering, and it makes sense a couple of them would want to be you know adventurers. Did remind me a little bit of eighteen eighty three though, with them constantly on the move trying to. <laughs> Get to the spot before sundown, so to Careful, speak. Careful, we got some Indians coming. We got to run. Yeah, only thing I didn't like, and this is just the weirdest nitpick, but I hated the stuff in their hair. Like, I oh, like God. the little, you know, Ooh. they'd have basically bramble bushes and twigs in their hair, and I just, being the guy that I am, I like, I don't like my OCD would have been. It's like glitter. I would have just been like, what is with this? But uh, costumes were beautiful, though. I thought they costumes did a great were job. amazing. Well, what are you talking about? That was the best scene is when. The stranger turns around and all you see is a, a sea of marsh. 
and then they all start standing up out of it. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. Because their hair's full of acorns and nuts. I, I, I obviously right. It's a defense mechanism, but it still made me giggle because I was just like, <laughs> "What's the budget of this show again? A hundred billion dollars and got an olive branch on your head? Okay, all right. Okay, hey, go it. off. That's fine. We're fine with that. Uh, okay, let's talk about. Um, so we talked a little bit about Galadriel, but I just want to kind of gush about her for a little bit because I. I did not know that she like her going to uh, to Valinor at, in the beginning, getting sent over there to the Grey Havens. Uh, you know, you see you see it at the end of Return of the King, and you always hear people talking about it in the books and the movies. Of you know, that's it's heaven basically. You know, I'm going right. to heaven, and I was like, I couldn't remember if that happens in the lore, but just her rejecting that and leaving. But along with all of the the cameraing and CGI of what that all looked like, it felt like it was ripping it straight from my brain. Like like I said, I don't know. I, I could have sworn never seen it before, but just the the visuals of her like the ship heading there, her leaving and then just swimming through endless ocean just felt so right for this like ancient story of you know she's getting the she's getting she's going to Valhalla the basically golden, the golden ticket and, and just she says no gates, thanks I've still got work to do birds all the other elves turning to look at her like we made it we're here and then yep. boom gone just it was amazing though it was so powerful and then I I did not expect the entire like I was assuming she'd get back and it's yep. the whole season is her getting back and so I was just like that that was cool though but God her fighting style and her courage. Her uh, her drive was insane. The the way that she just no nonsense attitude with the Numenorians was phenomenal, and I love that everyone like people didn't like her, but everyone respected her. Like they yes. all were like, "Oh, this is the elf," or like, "This is." But she just everything she did, it was like she's a badass. She knows exactly what she's doing, except exactly. for when Sauron, you know, gives her some pointers on how to be a better socialite, which was funny too, because you know he's trying to explain to her like. This is why they're mad at you. Like you just run in guns blazing and you'd upset at everybody. Like try right, and be a more diplomatic. Why don't you tell me I'm supposed to do it? And also the there weren't many in this season, but the battle scenes that she was in were incredible. Where it's, she in that first episode, that's what sold that me. Ice troll was in I mean crazy. Oh man. And the whole battle scene with the orcs where she's hunting down the 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 leader and they're they're coming at her from all angles and just Slashing them down, not even looking, throwing arrow. I mean, incredible, incredible. So Amazing. total badass. And I'm with you. I, I didn't think with as good as Blanchett is um, in the Lord of the Rings movies, it would that would have been a very tough one to best. And I fit, that was a tall task. And, and she well, was and you know, it's interesting is she's road weary, I think. And, you know, you get yeah. to that point. She's at that point in her life where and she mentions it, the, her husband, her future husband, which is kind of weird because I think in the books, her their son is who, or their daughter is who ends up marrying Elrond, which is weird because they're such best friends. Like I was like, that's just, I, I don't, I mean, I'm sure they would change that, but regardless, she goes into the fellowship. Now she's, she's put, I mean, they, they show it, right? The symbolism of her putting her brother's knife in the kiln to yep. melt it. She's basically saying, I'm kind of done. done with this. Now I hope they bring her back and say, Hey, we need you to keep fighting. But you get we to this point in the fellowship where she's kind of the I'm just hiding in the woods sort of thing. I'm I'm biding my time. And you even get to that part where when Frodo gets tempted or tries to tempt her and says, Why don't you take the ring? 
And I always got scared at that scene, and I never understood why she'd said, because then I would become a queen. And that is from this show of yeah. Sauron saying, be my queen, basically. Like, we could rule together. So when she's freaking out on Frodo, she's basically saying, do you not realize that I've spent the last 4,000 years avoiding this because that dude tried to propose to me with this damn ring you know, ages ago. And I pulled that I pulled that wet rat off a raft. Yeah, just insanity. So cool. And that like, you know, but she kind of almost gets tempted in that moment and she almost yeah. gets tempted in fellowship. So I thought that character work was phenomenal in terms of like staying true to the roots of who Galadriel was. Um, I'm just, I'm, I hope we get to see just as much of her as we did in this season. Totally agreed. Knockout. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about Elrond and Durin. So when I heard that name, my my ears peaked because of uh, the, the Halls of Durin when they're going to visit Khazad Doom in uh, Fellowship right. of the Ring, right? So and they give, go in there and it's just give, dead. Uh, give me the give me and some of our viewers because I am a other than Halls of Durin and taking in a lot of the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings lore. Give me the Durin. Where does this guy fit in? So I thought I knew, but I don't. So the the reason for that is because for a very long time, all of the male uh, the 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 male dwarves in that line were all called Durin. Ah. So he is Durin, son of Durin, and Durin's father is also Durin. So I think he's Durin the fourth, possibly maybe the fifth. But there's some pieces in the lore that did read that Durin dug too deep, searching for Mithril and awakened a Balrog in the text. Uh, and that is literally what happens at the end of this when they creep down those Mithril veins. And uh, and that's what's so funny about it is because as I started reading it, it contextualized it a little more of like in the whole time watching the show. I'm like, God, this dad, who, by the way, is uh, the Snell man in Ozark. Uh, no. Yes, it's Mr. Snell. Um, wow. He's saying like, oh, you know, we're not going to dig. We, we've never basically acting like the old curmudgeon. And the yeah. son, as they typically are, is more progressive saying, hey, I want we need to dig. This is a great new source for us. And the irony is the father was right <laughs> because them digging is what causes the Balrog to awaken and destroy right. a lot of their livelihoods in these caves. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff, orcs and whatnot, but. Um, it's just interesting to see the power that Mithril had um, yeah. because that's how it was, right? They used it to forge the vests. The dwarves used it for so much stuff. They used it for, you know, obviously trading a little bit of it too with the elves. Um, but I, I just loved the the friendship between him and Elrond and just showing how, obviously Elrond was an awesome dude, but just that how elves and dwarves can get along. Like we see Legolas and Gimli doing it as well. And so it was just cool to see that. It was great to see a dwarven female. That was nice. We always get conversations about the women. You even get the line in Lord of the Rings where Gimli says, you know, sometimes people have even wondered that there are no dwarf women because they look so similar. You can't really tell. <laughs> and I think that was a complaint people had about the show, um, which, surprise, surprise, uh, I did look at the lore in the book. And in the book, uh, Tolkien even says, you would be a fool to think that there aren't any dwarf women. Right. Uh, so it was nice to see the uh, like Disa, for example. I thought she was a great addition to the show. I right. thought her her she had her own drive, 
but she was so supportive in a pushing way to her husband of like she knew what was best for him she supported him through that but was like you know one day this is all going to be ours and so you you can kind of see some of the greed starting to come up uh, but yeah. it was cool because there wasn't a lot of it right they're still in that process of let's try and be friendly with each other and all of that but man the just the, the circumstances of him showing up and what was it like 27 years or something which was a blink of an eye for him and he's yeah. so mad at him because he's yeah. like you know you were my friend oh that was just i loved that like i love seeing the dwarf kind of warming his his rocky heart well and now that, that that whole uh scene and playing with disa was great too where elrond is walking out and she goes wait get back in here now elrond. that just that yeah like Knowing that Durin needed that friendship and that he yep. needed to make it work was awesome. And I, same thing with that. I mean, the same comment I would have with, with the Harfoots. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, we grew up with Legolas and Gimli, and that relationship was so awesome. And it was so different. You could tell even in the those movies, it was like a dwarf and an elf, you know, being friends and hanging out. It's like, how does this – this is not normal. This doesn't make sense. And, of course – Elrond is, you know, best friends with Durin. And I love know. that too when he's like talking with Celebrimbor and with Gilgalad, where uh, he'd just be like, and, and that was what I liked about the show too, because in the movie, there the journey is all about the journey. And obviously it's about the destination, but you've just had so many sweeping shots of the fellowship walking, right? Right. Headed to their direction. And in this one, it's like Elrond, like, oh, you want me to go back and talk to the dwarves? Cool scene cuts to him right at the door and he's like hey anyone home it's like do you not realize that's like a thousand mile journey right like it takes time but i love that they always just jump there and he's always like ah you know i i know a dwarf that might be able to help us like i just thought that was so cool to, and and him being saying like i'm not gonna i'm not sharing his secret like he entrusted this to me that, that just him standing up for his values was so cool yeah elrond i mean uh, I don't know off the top of my head the actor that played him, but did so well. And I just a great character. I thought he's such a he's such a classic, you know, Lord of the Rings guy from all the movies and shows and Hobbit and everything. And right. to see to see him in this young age two state was really cool. And he's already, you know, he's already very, very well versed. He's working his deals, he's building the relationships. The same Elrond we you know, we fell in love with in, in H3. Yep. Yeah. Uh, okay. So next up on here, I've got Muriel and Farazan, who are so the, the big old furry guy in Numenor and the re, the queen regent who's there. So uh, yeah. uh, I read there's a, a lot of lore on this in, in the appendices. And so basically the line of Numenor. So essentially what, what the history of Numenor, Numenor is essentially based off of like Atlantis. And right. so essentially during the first age, there was people who assisted the El the Eldar or whatever you want to call them, the gods at the time. And Numenor was their reward. So there was they said basically like, you know, so they're they're humans with extended lifespans. So they're they're stronger, they're more endure endurance, basically like a, a super soldier in a sense, and they're a little taller. So Aragorn from the the original trilogy, right? They always call him the heir to Numenor. He's, you know, Isildur's heir. And so basically he is the last real king of the Numenorians. And so what happens is 
you know, they're given this paradise basically. And for a really long time, they're very faithful to it because the gods, the Valar essentially say like, we're giving you this, but you cannot go like, you cannot go further West. You can't go to Valinor, but they also kind of discourage them from going to middle earth too. So they're basically saying like, don't leave the Island. Right. And so as time went on, and it, and it really hit its its peak with Farazon, which was saying like, oh, you know, this land is our right. We deserve more than this. Basically getting greedy and saying and, and part of that was was Sauron, too, of kind of sweet whispering in their ear saying like, hey, you know, you guys deserve more, blah, blah, blah. And so they, they essentially reach for the sun and the um, the Valar strike them down with a giant flood and destroy Numenor. And so then they have to flee. And so that whole thing is com- is because of Farazhan. So he is the one that gets convinced by Sauron to do this, does it, revolts basically. And so there's an uprising. She is the regent or the queen at the time. And he basically overthrows that and, and tries to bring and Numenor Farazhan back to its glory. Is- and that's what causes the downfall. Farazhan is the bearded. the bi- Yeah, the big bearded guy that everybody likes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's like the other politician, basically. And so, I mean, everything that they did, all the acting is all true. Like the her father was trying to bring things back to that respectful way of the gods and obviously couldn't do it because, you know, he ends up dying or whatnot. So that um, that's like the and so that's part of the kind of the end of the Second Age is the fall of Numenor. Uh, So the Second Age officially ends when um, the ring is cut from Sauron. When Isildur cuts the ring off cuts of his hand, hand. Okay. that's the end that's of the second beginning age. of age three. All right. Yep. And so that's the beginning of the third age. So, so that's the like Queen Regent's visions in that sphere are the Palantir. Yeah, it's coming true. It's what's mm-hmm. coming. Yeah, it's- exactly. I mean, that's kind of what it sees. And that's funny because that's his the king name of her father was he went by the Palantir because he had those. So it was like all of that was all true to the text too, which was, again, didn't know it at the time, but as I was reading it, I was just like, man, this is, I can see it from the show. Right. Um, so that was really cool. That's awesome. Um, and I liked them again. I, I liked their whole, I liked her a lot. The, the region, man, that scene where she's like, you know, when's this, uh, when's this fog going to clear? What's this fog going to lift? And then they're all silent. She's like, how long has it been lifted? And they're like a couple hours. <laughs> she's like, damn it. I'm blind. Like, does, oh man, does that play into any? I mean, what do you think is the significance of that? If anything, I, you know, maybe she becomes a sort of seer, perhaps. You know, when you once you lose your eyes, you start to see visions and whatnot. Typically, in that sort of setting, but I didn't read anything about that, so I don't know if it'll come. I'm not sure. Okay. But that also ties into Elendil and a seal door. So, Elendil, the captain of the guard, basically. Bob. Yeah, I'm waiting until there's a tie, and I'm not sure if it's for him. But do you not remember in the Lord of the Rings movies that Galadriel gives that light to Frodo? That is called the light of Elendil. That you know, oh. so no place you go may be dark. What he uses to fight the spider. Interesting. I, think, I, I think don't remember him, that. but I'm yeah. not sure because he even says, you know, there's another name for what Elendil means, but he, I don't think he ever explains it. But his son is a seal door. A seal door is the one that cuts the ring from the Sauron. So he 100% is not dead. And they're really making it out like he's missing. That's going to be like episode one of season two, the return of a seal door. He can't die. He's the main, he's the main player. Well, and the father be, I mean, I feel like him and Galadriel became pretty close throughout their, you know what I mean? Like throughout their adventures. Like he's, so he gets kind of upset with her at the very end there. 
Yes, yes. But well, I think that's just because of how you know messed up everything is at that point. Yeah, I mean, we just created Mordor. I think there's going to be some emotions flying around. Yeah. yeah. It's like I the think, fall of Enron. I think we're going to be back. But yeah, Sealed Deer, I'm with you. I think that's going to be a very early arc in season two when that comes out. Because he's obviously here to stay. And we're going to mm-hmm. be seeing more of him. Because, I mean, he's kind of a... He's, he's the guy that is going to be cutting, fighting at the front of the battle cutting the hand off of Sauron he's got a lot of work to do he's kind of a twerp in the show he's a little, little well no they, they do establish when he actually gets down to it that he's a really good fighter yeah you, you do not notice that like he, he gets a couple moments to shine but for the rest of it he's kind of punished for most of it of oh, like that's it you know that's a good point he's He's taking the back seat because he keeps shirking his responsibilities. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that's kind of what you see him. This is going to be this like, you know, it's going to essentially be the return of the king in a sense of, you know, him coming back and being revered a little bit more. Obviously, his dad's going to pay more attention to him because he's going to be like, I've, yeah, my son's alive. But uh, you have to remember, Isildur is also the downfall of Middle-earth. So <laughs> him cutting that ring off, remember, that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie is Isildur! Throw it, cast it in the fire. Cast it in the fire. And goes, no. And then walks off. And I'm just like, dude, Elrond should have killed him in that moment. But nope, he doesn't. We just have to wait another thousand. No, I think it's like 3,000 years or something before we get there. So, yeah, Asildo screws some stuff up for sure. But hey, we're setting the line up now. He's a little stinker. He's a little troublemaker. He is. He is. Um, Okay, so here's a couple of extras. Uh, these people, I did not find anything on. This looks like it's probably an addition, but I think there's going to be a twist, and that is Theo and his mother Bronwyn and her lover boyfriend uh, Aaron Deer, who's an elf, elf and a human. Oh no, what are we going to do? Oh my god, uh, that was kind of funny, I guess. But you know, they were saying there's there's the bit at the end when Elrond grabs that scroll. That prove so that you know, and you know, she gets the scroll to try and prove that Halbrand is not the king, which she does. But Elrond grabs the scroll and sees something in it, and so I think that he mentioned it maybe in the video. And I kind of liked that theory that this kid Theo is possibly the king. Because we don't learn anything about his real father. We knew exactly. They mention it, but they never. We never see it. His name is Theo. You have a very interesting arc with him too, with the key of is. Theon, a horrible person, and is he going to start down this path of? Oh, you know, right. Yeah, first yeah. Gets that key, and when you first are seeing it, I was thinking, you know, obviously not. Sword. Oh, you're talking about the broken sword. Yeah, is right. he go down this path of evil and side with, you know, this orc leader and and become like Sauron's apprentice or something? You know what I mean? And betray yep. the village, and it was a really weird. Uh, arc that I couldn't follow and he ends up you know total total redemption obviously he loses track of that key and we get Mordor out of it but uh, right. I, we, we won't blame that on him he doesn't lose it but definitely towards the end of it and and the relationship he kind of builds with Galadriel and you know all that I think he de- he whether or not he's the king or his name is mentioned on that scroll is going to be interesting but he's going to he we're not done with him I yeah, think I agree. a lot more in the second season. And I think that that little reverse redemption arc was really cool of like, is he going to do it? You know, what what direction right. is going with him? And then to see him side on the good side with everyone and, you know, 
kind of turned that corner was really cool. So interested to see what comes out of that. Yeah, my my guess is because if you remember in uh, Two Towers, the current uh, king of men of the Rohirrim was Theoden, Theoden which is Theoden. Uh, yeah. So he could be like an ancestor to Theoden because you, you got to remember at that point too, there's there's essentially two types of men. There's the Numenorians and then there's the regular men who, uh, which again is the, the people who live in Gondor and then the people who live in like Rohan. Yeah. Yeah, or I guess, and I, I thought that would be my money is that the people who flee the Southlands head to Rohan and they start up, you know, the horse lords and all of that over there. Um, that would be my guess. But again, Where, you know, I don't know. I don't know. This is this is totally unrelated. But in Lord of the Rings, you have all the lineage and everything with Aragorn. Right. Does he tie to any of these chains, or is it such a long distance between? Yeah, he's he's a, he's a Sealdor's heir. He is okay. That's what I was wondering. Yep. So like, he's his great 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 grandson or something like so that. So he's part of that chain. Very cool. Yep. Yeah, so that that's why he's like the he's the rightful king because he's the he's in the line of a sealdor because a sealdor's dad is like he ends up I think becoming the king or something like that. But and that's um, that's the separation between the king of the regular men and the king of like the Numenor powerful men, right? Because well, if, well, yes, and that was like the whole prophecy is that he, you know who, this return of the king is supposed to unite all men right. together. So whether they're from Rohan or Numenor, they're all or Gondor and Rohan at that time, they're all one, and that's the whole point. So it, point achieved at the end of that third movie, but um, you're kind of seeing the beginnings of that now of where how they all end up so scattered, and and I mean there's going to be a lot of death coming because uh, you know Sauron puts a lot of crap out there in the second yeah. age to really ruin them so i don't think there's a lot of gifts he's gonna be like yeah he's got a lot of he's the gift that keeps on giving <laughs> uh any final thoughts on the show um i mean enough enough of a show for us to sit here for an hour and talk about it and yeah. get excited about it and reignite had this show not come out what we we wouldn't you know in three years we'd rewatch one of the Hobbit movies for fun, and you'd you'd be moving and maybe dust off one of your Middle Earth lore books and go oh I forgot I had this so yeah, the exactly. fact that it's reignited this this search for all this information and and pulling in so much of the appendices and and just getting us excited about the the lore and Lord of the Rings again is is so awesome and uh, I'm I'm a little. I had heard some people that were excited about how much time they're taking for the next season, and I'm pissed. I don't want to wait two years. Yeah, I think it comes 2024 two? or something. Man. Hey, but that gives us more time to devour it, more time to get read up on lore. Right. Uh, good, good things come to those who wait. Remember, Always remember this. Once it's out, it's never not going to come out again. Or it's never, never going to come out again for the first time. Never so got it. it. My question for you is – Obviously, we had a, quite a few guesses on this episode of some of the some of the potential storylines of season two and some of the things we're going to see. What potential or thing that you think is going to happen or story arc that they've alluded to in this first season are you most excited for in season two? Uh, definitely Sauron and the Rings. Yeah. Of just because, the, 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 again, the whole Rings of Power is all of those and all we've got are the elves. So... 
to see how they craft, how he crafts these other rings, how that whole exchanges of him giving them to people and all of that, like that, that is what excites me is again, filling in those gaps that you don't really know about from the books and adding that extra layer that we actually can visualize it. That's what's excited me. Oh man. And they said they're going to make the battles more epic. So it sounds like there'll probably be some pretty big, they could get more epic. They couldn't get more epic. I think on my end, the thing I'm the ring, I think the rings, the rings are going to be the main plot. Like it's going to be kind of the main adventure. We're going to see exactly what you're saying you're most excited about, I think, is going to be like the main crux of our next season is seeing him develop the next rings. I'm really excited to see and hopefully get more dwarf lore. Yes. Yes. See, you know, maybe we get some really cool Balrog scenes where get to see a little bit more of past past awakening the beast of them tunneling and some more lineage and stuff like that. We got a lot from like the elves, a lot of the men, there wasn't too much in the Dwarven world. And I think it would be kind of cool to get maybe a little more exploration into that piece. Yeah, I'd be down. I just, that was what I just read in, in the Silmarillion was the creation of the dwarves. And that was I a pretty it. cool, pretty cool story. So the last thing for your viewers um, and a little bit for me and being a little selfish here uh, you have accessed a lot more great resources for this. So give us a quick, what what top three outside of the movies and the books of Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit and obviously Rings of Power, what are three other books, movies, appendices, things to, for any of us loader heads to litter, gear up on and, and find some of these uh, tips? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot and I even did my own research of, you know, what's the best reading order for Lord of the Rings or, you know, what books are the most important. And so, you know, kind of mentioned them in the beginning, but um, obviously, you know, The Hobbit and the the trilogy, which is technically only I realized learned was is one book. They they broke he submitted it as one and they broke it up into three parts, which is pretty crazy. Um, so I would say the appendices at the back of Return of the King. Uh, which you can get through in a very short amount of time because it's not a lot and you can skip over a couple pieces. But that answers a lot of stuff from the show uh, and gives you some interesting inklings into what's going forward. But again, it's just cool of like a a quick little run through history, so to speak. That would be number one. Um, And then number two, again, based from the show, uh, number two would be this Fall of Numenor book because this book essentially chronicles all of the Second Age throughout Tolkien's Uh writings. Okay. So they've pulled – so there's excerpts from the Silmarillion. There's excerpts from some of the other books, from the appendices. Uh, think of it as if, you know, grabbing bits and pieces and then combining it all into one book uh, in timeline order. So right. I, I think if you're really curious about the Second Age, um, to check that out. And then the third one would be the Silmarillion because – and I hope I'm saying it right. But that one details everything in the first age, and it, it it it's weird. It feels like reading a Bible because you know the first section is about creation, and then from there you're learning about all the different gods, um, these angels basically, and then it's like here's the creation of Middle Earth, and then here's you know I'm at the point now where you're going to learn about, but then you get pieces of the second age in there and p- the bits and pieces that he's put in, but you're going to get a lot of pre-show uh, history too, which again I think. It, it, it's only going to enhance things because when they say things like Morgoth and, you know, other, you know, when they say, oh, praise Iluvatar or something like that, like you'll understand what that is because yeah. you're having references to it. And so it's just I mean, Tolkien just created this massive world and it's it's nice. I, I'm just loving getting to dive back into it. Oh, that's awesome. I love it. I yeah. love it. Awesome. Well, hey, Harry, thank you so much for coming on again. 
Uh, this was this was I did not expect us to go this long on this one. So I'm glad we got to get all our thoughts out on Lord of the Rings, uh, Rings of Power. So thanks so much for stopping by. Thanks to our host and anyone listening along. If you haven't seen it, top show of host of comics and cinema and his favorite cousin. That's uh, right. 22. So hop on the wagon. One of my favorite cousins. <laughs> we gotta we gotta make that distinction. Let's correct uh, that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But yeah, no, seriously, thank you for coming on. And I'm glad. I'm so happy that this was our number one show, both of us, and that we got to talk so much about it. So um, thank you all too for coming on this journey with us uh, across Middle Earth. Uh, hopefully we'll have another episode when the next season drops. Uh, but for now, just keep it here on Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and we will see you in Middle Earth. Thank you.